Tonight, she is a resident musical expert, she's a resident romantic movie expert, and she still manages to have a nifty sideline in boys' movies. Tonight, she takes us through Haley Mills finding Jesus in a barn, Robert Duvall drinking and singing about the American South years before Jeff Bridges pulled off the same trick, and Bill Murray waking up and waking up, and yet again waking up in a small town in Pennsylvania. Welcome to the Sharon Bolland takeover of They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. Wait a second. That's more like it. This theme tune has been messing up the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Hello, good evening and welcome to your Friday evening at Sunshine Radio at St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight. My name is Tosin and I will be your host through the next hour and a half as we go back into the past. Back into the past of Hollywood, seeing what it is that they made all before 1980, and we talk about how lovely they are. You may have heard her already, but with me in the studio is Sharon. Hello. Hello, Sharon. Oh, hang on a second. Hello. There we go. That's better. <laughs> with you in the studio is Sharon. How are you doing, Sharon? Oh, well, thank you. It's uh, been a while, hasn't it, since we were here? It has been a while. It has been a while. It's been about, oh, it's been about a month or yes. something like that since we've done this show. Um, um, yeah, mainly because I've been hanging around in a field in Wales well, it's actually a film studio in Wales. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, the one of the most exciting things I had to do was throw myself out of the way of a galloping horse. <gasps> wow. Yes. You're a yeah. stunt performer. Yeah, well, they they were the stunt performers who were kicking us out of the way and making sure that <laughs> oh, we, making sure we weren't getting run over by the horse. But it was it was quite funny because it's like we were in an Elizabethan so it's supposed to be Shoreditch, Shoreditch and London during Elizabethan times. And so in this Elizabethan town scene, they've built this whole sort of like town, which is, it just looks amazing. And this is supposed to be a riot because around that time, there was a whole Protestant Catholic thing going mm -hmm. on. And so you have all these Catholic preachers who get up on stage and they start preaching and talk about how like, you know, Catholics are being, uh, being locked up in dungeons and are being treated like second class citizens and the crowd don't like this and the crowd goes a little bit mad and the crowd essentially it descends into this massive riot and during this riot we have um, because it's supposed to be about Shakespeare he loses his son in the riot so it's all about him trying to find his son and all that and the riot gets broken up by all these guards coming in on horses and pretty much charging <laughs> into the people rioting and so there was a scene where they were like okay everybody now get into the street riot but keep an eye out for the horse <laughs> <laughs> because the horse is going to be galloping and straight through. And they won't stop. Well, yeah, but I think they probably had some fail safes, but yeah, horses are scary. And so, so y'all there, y'all kind of like, ah, horse! <laughs> <laughs> and everybody just sort of like throws themselves <laughs> off the way of this horse. So yeah, that that was pretty good fun. That was pretty good fun. But at least I, I think I should be. I should be done now until Christmas. Oh, right. Yeah. So this is in production. So when is it going to post-production? When are we likely to see you jumping out of a way of a horse? It is going, it's going to be on TV next year. Oh, wow. I'll um, do yeah, that for that. 2017. It's a TV show called Will. And the 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 trailer is actually up online. It's on YouTube. Oh, wow. Well, the, have a look. The trailer's up on YouTube. And you'll see, see if you can spot me. I show up for like two split seconds. <gasps> There's two moments where I'm yeah. in the trailer. In deep, yeah. Yeah. And I was kind of like, oh, my God. Oh, that's me oh my god that's me <laughs> but a bit blurry yeah. but uh, it looks it looks like it's going to be a good show it oh looks, good it looks we'll like look out for that it is going to be a good show so unfortunately that means that we haven't done this show for a while no <laughs> so for, for those people who might we, we might be gone so long that you might have forgotten exactly what it is that we do on this show but as we said we go and we speak about night films that were made before 1980 we have a couple of categories that we look at we look at a 
genuine classic or bona fide classic. So a film that is just like it's it got all the it got all the love when it was released. Everybody still remembers it and goes, yeah, that was a film. That was a great film. We kick off with that. And we usually follow that up with a patient choice. Because in St. Mary's Hospital on the Isle of Wight, we have adopted Alveston Ward up on the third floor um, as our as a as our ward, as a pet ward on this mm. show. And we go in there and we speak to people and we find out, like, you know, what was the first one you ever saw at the cinema? Tell us about the story about it. However, when I went there today, everybody was asleep. It was <laughs> it was really, really good. It was it was quite peaceful. It was quite so serene up there. But and but as anybody who's been in a hospital before would know, sleep in a hospital is quite a precious thing to come by. So we decided not to bother anybody. So today we will not be having a patient choice. But hopefully next week when we're going to have a Christmas special. Yay. Yeah, and if anyone's listening to this, please, um, if you have a favorite Christmas movie, go onto Facebook. Um, just looking for They Don't Make Them Like They Used To. We're the radio show. You see a picture of three people with the words They Don't Make Them Like They Used To over our faces. Um, yeah, and tell us what your Chris- favorite Christmas movie is and why. If you can even send us like you know, a, a sound recording of yourself talking about why you think it's a great is your favorite Christmas movie, that would be awesome because next week is going to be all about Christmas movies. So next week we're going to have hopefully patients, we're going to have yeah. staff members, we're going to have all that stuff on our Christmas movie. So the patient choice will be ba- well essentially the entire show next week is going to be about that. <laughs> then we follow the patient choice up with uh hidden gem where we talk about a film that not many people know about hasn't really been lauded or celebrated or anything but it's still still a cracker of a movie and we finish off the entire thing with an exception to the rule this is a film that was made after 1980 so it's a little bit of a rule breaker (laughs) so like we're going against our own thing was made after 1980 but we say this is still a great film because they might not make it like they used to but every now and then they kind of do and we talk about that so we're going to do that today but the twist is with this being a sharon takeover of the show (laughs) is we have a master list of movies don't we yep we do we have a master list of movies that says where we have okay these are all the different films and different people suggest the different films that we're going to watch all the films today were suggested by Sharon. By me. Yay. Hey. So this is going to be essentially me doing my best Jeremy Paxman and grilling you and going, mm, yes, what about Why it? This what one? happens there? Yes. Yeah, what's good with it? into my psyche. Yeah, yeah. So with that being the case, and to stop me prattling on, will you like to tell us what the first film that we're going to talk about is today that you have chosen as a bona fide classic? Yeah, the first time. It's going back in time a little bit. It's going back to 1961, and it's a corker of a film called Whistle Down the Wind. Whistle Down Not the Wind. Not to be mistaken with the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. This is the film that was based on a book. Well, I've got to be honest with you. When I heard Whistle Down the Wind, that is where I know the title from. It's yeah. from the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. Yeah, I won't sing it. Yeah, no, I was tempted to then. Yeah, which 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 gave Boyzone one of their hits. <laughs> yes, it did. It gave Boyzone one of their hits that well, we, you can tell that it kind of dates the musical even a bit. We yeah. were talking about Boyzone having a hit, but um, it gave them one of the hits that wasn't a cover of somebody else's song. <laughs> That's right. It was an Andrew Lloyd Webber original. Yeah, yeah. So, no matter what they tell us, that that one. That's All right, cool. One. So tell us a little bit. Whistle down the wind. What is it about? Yeah, it's based on a book written by Mary Haley Bow, who was married to Sir John Mills and is the mother of um, Hayley Hayley Mills Mills and Juliet Mills. So that's the pedigree of it. And it's a film that was directed by Brian Forbes 
1961 and the story is quite a simple little story really and the book's really thin it's only about 100 pages long it's a very thin little book okay but it's a group of children come across a man hiding in a barn yeah and they don't know but we know that he is a man who's been accused of murder yep and he's fleeing the police and he's hiding in this remote Lancashire hill farm barn and middle of nowhere mm-hmm. and these group of children stumble into the barn and they see this man stirring in the sort of the hay and they go who is it and he looks at them and he goes Jesus <laughs> and they go oh, it's Jesus <laughs> <laughs> and that's it basically it's about this group of children who find this man and they believe they absolutely believe that he is Jesus come back Oh, right. Okay, cool. So before we go any further, we're going to play some music now from Whistle Down the Wind. And I think that it's quite a celebrated soundtrack, but we're just going to play some music from that and then come back afterwards and talk a little bit more about Jesus in a Barn. Yeah. Yeah, the theme from Whistle Down the Wind by Malcolm Arnold. Now, now, from what you just said, this seems to sort of like come from that subgenre of children finding a fugitive in the woods or in a barn or yeah. anything like that. And even a couple of years ago, we had the Matthew McConaughey movie Mud. Mud, yes. Yeah, so it's like, um, oh, there was another one I was thinking of. I know there was a play by Jess Butterworth about um, Jerusalem that was a bit similar. It was, it was kind of similar to that. In, in that stuff but it does seem like it's a bit of a subgenre of children yeah. find uh, but this is the first time I've heard of one where like you know the ki- or even, oh, even a perfect world with Kevin Costner and Clint Eastwood yes that's right yeah, yeah um, but it's this is the first time I've heard of one in which uh, well yeah they think it's Jesus yes <laughs> so, so I think it's just that way I think it's all I think they really emphasised when they were filming it that it's the way he has to say Jesus when the children can't discover him yeah because he's fleeing for his life potentially this is before this is in 1961 and he's accused of murder and so he is fleeing for his life yeah it's potentially a capital offense and so he thinks I've been caught and so he looks at these children and he just says oh he's going like oh Jesus yeah but it's the way he says it because they say who is it it was who's down there and then he says oh Jesus and they go oh it's him because they're all, I mean, you ought to think back in time as well. Because again, I've always, I've said this before, and I've talked about films of other time. This is a contemporary film, so it's based in 1961, yeah. set in 1961. Yeah. So everything you see is almost like a snapshot of that time. Yeah. And so this was in a rural Lancashire village, um, where they're quite isolated, and so naturally, in those days, every child in that village would have gone to Sunday school. Yeah. It would have been there's nothing else to do on a Sunday, so. 
you went to Sunday school. And so they all would have been brought up knowing the nativity story, under, knowing about the miracles and knowing about Jesus. Yeah, man, having the a, pictures up on the wall of what yeah, he looked like. Yeah, what he looked like. Yeah. And so when you see picture of Alan Bates, he has got that long, dark hair. He's got like a beard where he's been on the run. So he's looking yeah. slightly unkempt. But... He does look like a Sunday school picture of Jesus, you know. <laughs> and and they did find him in a barn. And they found him in a barn. Or in a manger, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> lying in the hay. Yeah. yeah. See him lying. No, we won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's that. So they, they're coming from that culture where they would have, if they'd come across someone in a barn. Yep. And they say, hear that name, they would have think, oh immediately they wouldn't be cynical they're just they're, they're, their innocence is almost like completely intact so in their world they are in and so in this how old are the kids when they find him there are three brothers three three siblings there's Hayley Mills is the oldest and I think she's 10 or 11 all right in this and then she's got a younger brother and a younger sister okay and the younger brother, he's always like feels slightly put upon. But they've lost their mum, so they're living with their dad, who's a bit of a crusty old farmer. He's played by Bernard Lee. Oh yeah, who most of us know from the Bond films. Oh yeah, and he's other uh, films. he's 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 um, M, isn't M, he? Yes, in the, in the, in Bond the, movies. In the early Bond movies. I thought yeah. I recognised that guy. <laughs> so yeah, he's like their stolid, just get on with it and try not to make too much fuss over the children. Yeah. Um. So they're almost like grown up without mother's influence. So they are influenced by everything they see. They're quite easily swayed by yeah. by different things and like, they've just become and I'm guessing like especially with kids if the oldest one believes something the younger ones are, the young, are, yeah. are bound to just go oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 follow that so she's the one who sees him and thinks oh, he's Jesus this really is Jesus he's come back and he's in our barn Yeah. and because they know the bible stories about how people turned on him they're like we've got to look after him we've got to protect him we can't let it happen again and so by little word gets out that, um, that they've got Jesus in their barn and so over the next sort of days and weeks all of the children in basically the whole of the Lancaster <laughs> Lancaster Lancashire rather, rather they know that there's Jesus in this barn and so they start, they sort of make these little pilgrimages to see him and they take him gifts and cake <laughs> and they say to him oh Jesus tell us a story and you can see him going oh <laughs> tell you a story <laughs> but they sit there and there's like these these they completely they completely believe it all these children completely believe it and you see them like sat in the barn just gazing at them going like oh, tell us a story like you did in the bible <laughs> i'm sorry so, but this film sounds awesome it's <laughs> this film just it sounds absolutely delightful i mean just yeah. like the premise of it i think it's just brilliant so there's no you can't be cynical about it you can't they because they completely believe it so yeah you have to almost believe, and you almost believe it yourself after <laughs> halfway through and you begin to root for him even though you because at the beginning you see these like wanted for murder and you see his pictures on there so yeah. we as an adult are let in on the thing but they don't know it and all the adults don't talk to the children about what's going on so they try to protect the children but they leave them in ignorance yeah yeah ways. yeah and so there's this massive police hunt and all the children think it's like oh, they're trying to get jesus again <laughs> they're just trying to get him and so they protect him and at one point Haley mills character goes and finds a gun that he has hidden yeah and she takes it back to him and then he's but you see him sort of their belief in him is almost like changing his view of himself yeah that he wants to be what they think he is like, yeah. he doesn't want to be Jesus but he wants to, he doesn't want to let them down and you see at times where he's thinking oh, I'm not Jesus I'm not but they believe him so much they, he doesn't want to let them down and there's one really sweet scene I won't sort of give the whole story away but there's a really sweet scene towards the end where 
she's outside the barn and she's talking to him and she's going, um, you will come back again, won't you? You will come back again. And he goes, oh, oh I don't know, I don't know. Because oh, promise me you come back. And then she's dragged away by her father. Then he says, I promise. Yeah. And so she doesn't hear it, but we hear it and we know that he means it. Yeah. Because he wants to be what they... So he doesn't do anything to make them not believe it. Yeah. And there's a scene, a very classic scene as well, where at the end of the film where he has been, he gets found. Yeah. And they, they're searching him and his arms are at his sides. Like sort of, oh, like a crucifix like a pose. Crucifix. And you see him on like the skyline. So you just see him stood with his arms outstretched as these sort of police officers take him away. And all the children are looking and sort of going, oh, they're taking Jesus away. But it's not left on a downer. You feel that because he said, oh, I promise I'll come back again. And one of the last lines is, you know, you might have missed him, but he's coming back again. <laughs> so it's left with that sort of, sort of hopeful... Um, promising or you left on okay. a promise alright cool so I've got a bit of a, I've got a clip from the film here to play and this is the this is the kids so this is when it's gotten out so it, it seems yeah. like they, they end up being almost kind of like two worlds there's the adult world and there's the kid world yes and this whole Jesus thing spreads through the kid world so all the kids yeah. know about They're it all the kids know and the adults are totally oblivious to the fact that all, <laughs> yeah. the, all the children think that Jesus is living in a barn behind, yeah. behind someone's house so this is a bit where all the kids are sort of like clamoring around and it seems to be the point at which the adult world and the kid world c collide they meet so here we go Cake time. Everybody who wants a bit of cake, queues up in front of Auntie Dorothy. Don't drive me insane. Hey, miss, put that down. Who's this for? Me, it's mine. I'm not talking about that. I mean, to the one. It's for Jesus. Who did you say it's for, look? Who do you say it's for? Jesus. It isn't Jesus. It's just a fella. That's the cynical little brother. <laughs> the cynical little brother. <laughs> isn't Jesus it's just a fella? <laughs> but then it's like, I've never even seen the film because we've just watched the scene of the scene where Bernard Lee comes in and it seems like it's someone's birthday party and like it's all the, all yeah, the kids all trying the kids to get the there. cake. Yeah. And it's like, there's just the tension. I mean, just, just so immediately get the fact that, oh, she said something she shouldn't have. And he's kind of what that? What do you mean? Because <laughs> so, it makes him more. Because otherwise, you'd be like, "Oh, that's sweet." Yeah, 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 yeah. Like leave a place at the table for Jesus, isn't it? You know, yeah. there's always have an empty seat there. Um, it's that sort of feeling. But then the, the way the children react, he's immediately thinking, "Hang on, this is not just." This, yeah, this is not just a cute thing. That there's thing. something, something's going on yeah, here. Yeah, there's but. someone out there. Yeah, they, that's when he gets his first suspicion that. The children might have been acting, you know, like children do in their own fantasy world, but he just thinks it's a fantasy world. This is when he thinks, ah, oh, this is, this is, there's something, there's something here. So, 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 and it, so apparently the film's big on that sort of like religious symbolism. You're talking about the crucifix thing yes. and all that, and you said something about bringing gifts, like yeah, they bring gifts to him when he's in the 
in the barn. Yeah, I think one of the little boy brothers cynical. I think he wants him to do a miracle, and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like oh, you couldn't. I'm trying to think because I haven't seen the whole film recently, but I don't know if it's like a pet dies or something dies, and he wants him to bring it back to life again. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm sorry, I can't. I just can't bring it back to life again. Well, you're not Jesus. <laughs> because Jesus would bring it back to life, and that's why that little boy becomes more cynical. So he Jesus would do what I want. No, <laughs> why won't you do a miracle for me? <laughs> well, so the, you see, yeah. So, but it is it is full of sort of that religious symbolism. And what in the book, he's never referred to by name. He's always referred to as the man, and it's with a capital M. Yeah. And I thought, in some ways, it's like when you read the Bible, whenever they talk about God or Jesus, they always capitalise it. So it's yeah. he with a capital H, him with a capital H. So yeah, yeah. It's throughout the... when And the, the, the stand, the procedure is now. Whenever you write about God or Jesus and you refer to them as him, it's always capitalised. And so this is the man, capitalised. Yeah. And so often in the Bible, it's about Jesus is the son or the lamb. It's always capitalised, isn't it? So they use that in the written word and they try to do something similar on the, on the film that... Yeah, he, he's lit in a certain way that makes him look... It look, you know, look a bit look, ethereal. Yeah, it looks sort of in that way that often the pictures of Jesus are when he's with the little children and they stood around him. Oh, there's a little bit of a halo. Yeah, <laughs> and they're looking up to him and... Uh, it, it, no, it's good. I mean, I've, I've actually... I'm quite bummed I couldn't find the whole film to watch, like, on any of the streaming platforms. Get on it, Netflix oh. and Amazon and all you guys. Well, any, any, couldn't find it on any of the legal ones anyway. <laughs> so, it's... So, yeah, because it, it does sound... It sounds like a small story, almost like a, you know, like a look... Looking at a group of people or, like, a a, oh, a community. Yeah. And just a, it's just like a tiny sort of self-contained story. Yeah. It just... Which uh, I, I really... I mean, I like everything I've heard about it, and it just makes me really, really want it's to watch it. It's just a sweet film. I just find it's a sweet film, and we have an inadvertent sort of link between our films today. Um, they're not obvious ones, okay. but it's, it's almost like you can almost say they're all about redemption in some way. Okay. And for this man, even though he's like a, a murderer, or potentially we don't know if he's convicted of murder, but he's certainly wanted for murder. Yeah. Um, he almost like finds redemption in that he doesn't fight when he's arrested. He doesn't become the revert like a violent type because yeah. he wants to be a better man he's like yeah. found through this the faith of this two of these children he wants to be a better man himself now so you can there's almost like that, that hint that it's sort of he gets his own sort of redemption through it yeah, yeah and he doesn't ever seek to destroy the faith of the children as well he doesn't ever try to i think initially he's like you know he's <laughs> you're like, a bit nuts he's like whoa dodged a bullet there this, yeah <laughs> But he's yeah, so he's. I think he finds a form of redemption through through these children. Cool, good stuff. So whistle down the wind. Whistle down the wind. Whistle down the wind. Nice sweet film, according to Sharon. And now we go on to of his skipping right over patient choice and going straight into the hidden gem. The hidden gem. So you have chosen a film, and you say this you think is a hidden gem of a movie that more people should know about. Yes, I do. Will you tell us what film it is? This film is called Tender Mercies. All right, Tender Mercies. So, never heard of it before you mentioned it. Wow. Yeah, never. I actually never heard of it because, quite frankly, the the title is a bit... Yeah, it's something <laughs> or nothing, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a nothing title. It makes of... sense in the film. It's There's a direct reference to that in the film. Yeah, but but like the title, I'm just going to like... Mm, mm. Yeah, it just it just sort of washes over you. Yeah, it just it's like one of those like away we go or anything for her. Or something yeah. like, well, no, actually, no, those anything for her is actually quite a good one, but or uh, the first Saturday or something like that. <laughs> it just does it just doesn't do anything. But what happens? What is Tender Mercies all about? Tender Mercies is a story of a country singer 
mm-hmm. who had been big and famous in his day mm-hmm. and then the alcohol had got the better of him and so from being like a top country singer he's now reduced to going on these endless tours to these really small american towns mm-hmm. and on one of these small endless tours he gets so drunk and fights with everyone that he gets abandoned and stranded in the middle of nowhere motel petrol stop yeah and it's run by a widow and her young son they run they live in they live sort of miles out of town and all it is is just like this sort of four or five room motel with the petrol stop mm-hmm. there and he's banded there and he wakes up one morning to find everything's gone he's got nothing at all but the clothes he stood up in basically he's got no money and he can't pay for the bill because everyone left him. No, no, not even a guitar. Not even a guitar. Oh wow! They just—he's just there, and he says, "Well, I can't pay you. Can I work off what I owe you mm-hmm. by just doing old jobs around the place? I can see, you know, that things need doing because there's no man about the place. Mm-hmm. So he stays, and then he ends up falling in love, basically, with the with the with this woman and her son, and he becomes taken into part of their home." And through them, he finds himself again. He sort of gets sober and then he starts falling in love with music again. So he wants to start writing again. And he tries to make tentative approaches to his former manager and his ex-wife, who's still a big country singer. They won't have nothing to do with him. Yep. So he sort of starts again by just with this new family and this new life, writing songs and playing with this small band. And then one of his songs gets popular again and he almost like comes up on the rise again. But it's almost like a small story about this one man and his road to redemption. All right. So this man, who plays this man? This man is the amazing Robert Duval. Robert Duval. And I was reading about this to hear that he did all of his own singing. Yes, he does. There's a... Yeah, there's a couple of songs in here, but yeah, he did his own singing because he's a bit of a country guy, isn't he? He's a bit of—I didn't realize he's such a musical guy, old Robert Duval. Robert Duval, well, yeah, I mean, well, he's—he's he's kind of got that kind of soul about him, yeah. if you will. But, but yeah, he's Robert Duval, and the lady he falls in love with is by I think a really underrated actress called Tess Harper. Tess Harper, right? So this is so we have a little bit of music from Robert Duval singing in. Uh, I'm not sure whether this is actually in the film or just on the soundtrack of Tender Mercies, but. Let's have a listen to what Robert Duvall sounds like when he's playing a country star. See that cloud there in the sky Slowly drifting by Well, that's the way she's a-drifting Not bad, Robert Yeah, Duvall. that's him. He I does sing what? a couple of times in the film. Yeah, I don't think we, we might even get some more Robert Duvall on before the end of the show. But no, no, not bad. I quite, I like that. I think I'm, I'm liking it. I think that there's a there's a possible other career there that he could have had. Yeah. So, so this is so that's the the story of the film. Yeah. So it's, he's just, yeah he's Max Sledge, this this former big country singer who's become yeah down on his luck. And I think the reason why they call it Tender Mercies is his wife is she is set. Um, in the new late, wife or old wife? His new wife. Okay, cool. His new wife. Um, it's set in the late seventies, mm-hmm. cusp of 
1980 mm-hmm. and his new wife is a widow because her she lost her husband in Vietnam mm-hmm. and her young son he's only sort of seven or eight maybe not much older than that he's had to grow up he was only a baby an infant when his father died so she's grown up on and she's been on her own and there's one point in the film where she's talking to mac after they've got married and she said you know i do pray for you every night and i thank god for his tender mercies and the things i can be thankful for is you know you my son the life we have together yep and it's nothing big happens in this film you know there's potential for other things happening, but he never hits a big time again. He doesn't become a millionaire at the end of this film. He's still living in the motel at the end. Yeah. And there's no grand gestures, so it's no big emotional scenes. You see, the film was, there's scenes when they're sort of quite tender. Um, it's just the way they look at each other, or mm. just the way they sit in each other's company. Mm-hmm. There's no huge, big, dramatic scenes. And he's one of these guys who's like that sort of Texas man. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. He's quite yeah. self contained. He doesn't show his emotions. That would be unmanly. So like in you know, a big strong quiet type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He doesn't yeah, and she's the same. Tess Harper who plays his his new wife, um, she's been sort of battered around by life a bit, but you know, she doesn't there's no drama in her. When she feels that he might have left her Mm-hmm. You know, she's quietly desperate, but there's no huge hysterics. There's no big, you know, why? Where did you go? What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. When he walks back in, he said, "I tried." No, to, as I, God is my witness. No, there's none of that. <laughs> <laughs> so when he walks back in, she says, "Oh, do you want something to eat?" <laughs> but you can see that she's just so relieved that he's back. But they don't have to say what they're feeling because you can okay. feel it. You can see it. What they're feeling it without having to be explicitly laid out for you. And he says, "You know, I." Started to drive towards Texas and I turned around and came back. I started to drive towards somewhere else, but I turned around and came back. I went into a bar, but I didn't get anything to drink. I just came back. And just by saying those three things, you're saying to he's saying to her, "You're more important to me than than yeah anything, than anything else. else. You know, you you kept me here, you drew me back, and I came back because of you." But he doesn't have to say it. You know it, but he doesn't say it. I think that's why I like it because a lot of the films that have a lot of that were deeply romantic and they they lay everything out it's like you know sometimes you just don't have to say it (laughs) (laughs) or is it like like trailers the the trailers that tell Uh, you here is the whole movie here's the whole story or is it yeah it's like sometimes keep something back keep something back hold yeah yeah, don't have to spit it all out there because most people don't actually do they when you re-meet people yeah even when they go through the darkest times of life they don't tell everyone everything they you see it in England yeah yeah (laughs) 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 there's lots going on but you they give a lot away by with very little and oh. so this is yeah they tell a lot with actually quite a simple story. All right, cool. Now, have you ever seen a film called Crazy Heart? Yes, with Jeff, Jeff Bridges. Bridges. Yeah, yes. because when I when I heard about this film and I started reading about where it was, I was like, it sounds like this is a bit Crazy Heart. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like Crazy Heart is a little bit of a rip off of this yes. because it's it's kind of like a similar thing. You have like the washed up yeah. country singer who is having to go to all these sort of like. Which were kind of demeaning for him, demeaning things. For someone who used to sell millions of records yeah. to suddenly be to have to playing be playing bars, bars. Mm. to have to be playing bars, and it's the same thing in that uh, he's an alcoholic. Then he meets a woman who has a young son, and then that's all like starts pulling him out. Yeah, and I'm like, and like you know, and then he eventually gets back to writing again, and I'm thinking. This and the thing about it is because Robert Duvall won the Best Actor Oscar. Yes, he won Best Actor for this. Yeah, yeah. This Oscar. was this was his for the the only uh, his only win. And after like you know people are like, oh he's a good actor why hasn't he won more on his only win? And for Crazy Heart, Jeff Bridges won the Best Actor Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> for some <laughs> people are going, oh my god, he hasn't won for ages. Why shouldn't he win? So I I was just kind of thinking, there are definitely parallels between them. They they they're pretty. It's almost kind of it's 
well, I haven't seen Tender Mercies, but just hearing what happens, apart from the fact that Tender Mercies seems to go, well, like, I think in in Tender Mercies, he finds religion yes. a lot more as a... Yes, he finds, and that's his redemption through his wife, and he, yeah, he finds a faith, and he, you see him getting baptised in it, which is unusual in most films, that they don't even know that that happens, but yeah, yeah. He, he and his and the son get baptised in the yeah. local church, and he becomes part of that community. Yeah, uh, they make a big deal of this faith in God and yeah. this faith in Jesus uh, uh, being being, a, being part of his his thing. Yeah, in Crazy Heart, not so much. No. but but it's but it's it just really really does seem like oh going a second is this? They just took this film and thought, okay, if, we, if this happened in the present day, what would we do? Okay, we get rid of that. We get rid of the Jesus bit. We'll do that kind of stuff. Yeah. The relationship will go this way instead of that way. Yeah, and we won't have it in such a grim looking place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's and we'll replace the ex wife who's a who's a big country star now yeah. with a former protege who used to be and yeah. I, I I mean I'm I'm actually shocked that it wasn't a bigger deal wasn't made when Crazy Heart was released about how much of a facsimile of this film it yes. seems to be. I think because this film has, has like it's, it's faded from memory Yeah, I think because you know I came across this on VHS video mm-hmm. years ago in a shop and I didn't know it and I thought what's that film? Robert Duvall's in it and I read about thing and that looks interesting so we bought the video on spec Yeah, and we played it and we just loved it we've just watched it I've watched it so many times because it's just one of those films that just draws you in in that it's sort of quiet sort of depth of it and yeah it's just a great film I think and yeah it's directed by Bruce Beresford who he of Driving Miss Daisy fame and yes yes Bruce, Bruce Beresford and you have a you have a story about Bruce Beresford don't you I do yeah I I didn't I wouldn't recognize him if I saw him face to face yep and when I did see him face to face so I didn't recognize him <laughs> we as we mentioned I think before on the show those of you who've listened before um, we go to a quiz yep as a film quiz and one of our friends, who we know quite well, came to a f- uh, quiz and she brought a gentleman with her. And we didn't think any more of it. It's just someone on their team. Yep. And they called themselves the Oscar-winning directors. And we thought, well, that's a strange <laughs> name to call yourself a quiz team. And afterwards, someone said, did you not know who that was? I said, no. I said, why do they call themselves that? I said, well, that's Bruce Beresford. And he won an Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy. <laughs> and he sat like two feet away from me. So I had no idea that he directed one of my favourite films. <laughs> I do want to go with Fangirl because I think that would have been a bit rude but I would have said Tender Mercies I love that film oh my god yeah you're a genius (laughs) afterwards someone said yeah I went and spoke to him and I was like why who was it and he's like it's Bruce Beresford (laughs) but yeah he had sat in the foyer with us at Cineworld Newport on the Isle of Wight um, take a point in the quiz So yeah, we had a we had a strange okay. run in. Okay, so so that that week I wasn't actually there that week. How did he do? They didn't win. They didn't. <laughs> we didn't either. <laughs> they did quite well because I think it was, um, yeah. They, there was only three of them on the team, so I think they did quite well for the. There was just three of them. All right, cool, cool, good stuff. Because I think I wonder whether he's just kind of like, no, it was not my own movies. I don't know. Yeah. This is, yeah. <laughs> Too much like, stuff about. He's like, where's the story? Where, where's the questions about where it was like working with Robert Duvall? I could tell you exactly what that was like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah tell me about Breaker Morant or something, but no, not this stuff. No, so yeah, the, so it's in. We had a, yeah, yeah, a strange thing. Yeah, and, okay. So he he's an Australian. Yes, and he's making a country music movie now. Apparently, this film was handed was offered to quite a few different directors, and they all said no, 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 and they didn't want to do country music. And it's like what you were talking about, the 
the the pauses and like the quiet of the mm. film and all that one of the things that drew robert duval to it so i'm just reading up um he says that he wanted to have a film that portrayed people from that part of america yeah from so sort of like middle middle part of america in not a cartoonish way because i'm guessing at that time you had things like Smokey and the bandit or yeah. something like it that cowboys and indians or it was yeah the yeah. smoking the bandit you say that in that this sort of late 70s early 80s that was all you saw yeah. and this was almost in many ways before the country music revival because you could say that country music became deeply unfashionable yes for a long time it yes, was like c and w yeah. it's just like oh my goodness and then it became really trendy and now you wouldn't know that it had ever been not yeah yeah trendy um, i think it's I quite think, popular again i think it's, it's popular it's popular but it isn't it isn't mainstream no, it isn't. You're not going to find much country music in like mainstream charts. Oh no, you won't hear charts, but, but it's certainly. But it's a, massive. But, but it's massive. But country yeah. music is in its own thing is massive. Yeah. So it's. But this is that period where it had become a bit of a pastiche of itself. It was mm-hmm. all like a Dolly Parton, and this was in the days of, I don't know Willie Nelson, and they were beginning to fade a little bit. Their, the the gloss had worn yeah. off it a little yeah. bit, and it's before the new country appeared. Yeah. In the sort of late eighties. But it it actually strikes me that uh, it strikes me like. Oh, Bruce Beresford as an outsider because there, there is a tradition of outsiders coming in and making great American movies. Yes, and definitely. Ma- yeah, making great American movies almost because they don't have... Uh, and I feel like it, the, it sounds to me like the film benefits from him looking at this and going, oh, this is what people are like. This is what life is like. This yeah. is what people from this area are like as opposed to not coming in with any prejudices of, oh, you know, those people down south, you know what they're like. And yeah. all that. Because even um, a film that was released this year that I know, I think Sean has seen it and you've seen it. Helen High Water. Helen High Water. Yes. Directed by a guy from Liverpool, I believe. Yeah, I know. And it captured that mood perfectly. Yeah. I don't know if it's just so close to it, you don't see it. But I was thinking as well of another, like Thelma and Louise, Ridley Scott. Oh, Ridley Scott, yeah. And it yeah. captured that Americana at that time, didn't it? It just captured it. Yeah. Whereas people who lived there just didn't see the landscape in the same way or didn't see the people in the same way. Yeah, well, probably so, not. And I think this is the same sort of thing. It captures a mood that maybe people, if they're familiar with it, just don't see it. Or they think there's no story there. Why would you want to go to Nowhereville, Texas and shoot a film in a, in a rundown motel about a rundown country singer yeah. and a and a Vietnam War widow? You know, what, what's that about? It, it does seem that the the like, um, the film did suffer a bit from that, that people just didn't really want to... like The fact that it was offered to all these different directors who turned it down, yeah. who didn't want that. And then they... <laughs> apparently there's a quote where... Bruce Beresford said that he thought that he was a weird choice and didn't understand why he was being offered the film, but he kept quiet about it because he really wanted to direct the film. Yeah. <laughs> and even though, and even after the film was released, the studio didn't really, they didn't promote it that much. They tried to let it just sort of sink and just had to sort of like basically crawl up out of the mire, like so, but just by word of mouth. Yeah. And end up with Robert Duvall having a well, the best uh, actor Oscar. For yeah. yeah, I think it won two Oscars. Was nominated for five, mm. and then it went yay, and then probably disappeared. Yeah, no one knows <laughs> about it. I mean, I came across this. It probably was what, ten years after it was made. Mm-hmm. Never heard of it ever. I think, well, how could I not know a film that won that won the best actor? Yeah, why would I not know that? Mm-hmm. Didn't know anything about it at all. But even when I saw it, it just just in its own quiet way, it just draws you in. Yeah, and I think yeah, and. Yeah, the fact that there's no great drama in the in the thing. It's like a, a rise and fall. I mean, there's moments of tragedy, there's light-hearted moments, and there's moments of um, of like faith in there. But there's nothing. There's nothing flashy major. and dramatic. Yeah. And even when they have a, he gets a bad. Someone comes up to him at one point. And he's just working and getting some stuff for the 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 ranch and 
because they have like a bit of the small holding with this motel place. Yeah. And someone said, hey, mister, did you used to be Max Sledge? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I used to be. <laughs> 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 and then, yeah, he, yeah, he's, he yeah, just falls in love with, he just like, learns to accept himself again and to accept this love that he's now got and his faith that he's now got. And he starts to write music again. So again, it's like a small way. It's like a, a one man's sort of journey of redemption. Yeah, that 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 thing you just sort of spoke about. The guy who wrote it was a guy called Horton Foote, and um, he he apparently wanted to write something about a small like based on his son mm-hmm. trying to become a well become a country musician. And there was an old timer who came to help them out. And when the old timer came to help them out, so actually, okay, this is how you put together a band. This is how you do things. Yeah. He got more interested in him. And that uh, in the old time and his story and uh, like well who do you, and that bit he says that there was he, that exchange was pretty much happened in real life. Oh right! It pretty much happened in real life where somebody said, oh, "Didn't you used to be blah?" He was like, "Yeah, yeah, I used to be," and <laughs> yeah. and he was like, "Oh wow, that kind of encapsulates the whole thing." And he brought yeah. it into brought it in, but yeah, it sounds. Uh, I'll say you, you yeah. Obviously, I mean, Sharon, I expect this of you. Nice, thoughtful choices, mm-hmm. but we're gonna have a little bit more of um. Of Robert Duvall singing, and this is a song. I think if you hold the ladder, I'll climb to the top. Oh, I think. that's the big. That's to his little breakthrough song. Yeah, I think that, that's his. This is comeback song. This his is, comeback song. This yeah. is him performing it in the movie. Yes, Robert Duvall. Yeah, being one of those annoyingly talented people that go like, I could do this, I could do that, I can direct, I can act, or I can sing. I could have been a country singer if I'd put my mind to it. And he can dance. Can he? Yeah, he's won championships with tango with his current wife. What? I know. It's like, how is that even possible? But yeah, he's a bit of a tango guy, apparently. Oh, for goodness sake, Robert Duvall. (laughs) You're making me feel I've done nothing with my life. Anyway, we're going to carry on. We're going to carry on to our next film. And we're going to continue one of the things that we do quite a bit on this show without realizing this, which is in advertent themes. Yes. So you've chosen all three films. You said that yeah, they're all kind of about redemption, with which we didn't realize when we chose them. But I guess it's something that you're drawn to. And also, um, essentially, classics being made through adversity through the actor and the director, the stunt director, butting heads. Yes. <laughs> because that happened quite a bit on Tender Mercies, where yeah. Bruce Bress was actually pretty much left, and he, went, he tried to quit the film, but 
somehow came up because he and Robert Duvall didn't quite agree and they ended up coming with oh look the Oscars love it oh yeah yeah they just bring out the best sometimes these these not harmonious relationships bring out the best in some of these performances yep and now we're going to talk about film in the in our exception to the rule and after the after (laughs) this is a film that caused the director and the star to not talk to each other for 20 years something nobody knows what happened but something happened on set and these guys didn't talk to each other for 20 years until one of them was dying and was pretty much like terminal that they actually started talking to each other again which is a bit sad because they were they were like great filmmaking friends you always you always saw them together they were together yeah and then they weren't so would you like to tell us what film it is that you have chosen as the exception to the rule the exception to the rule is a i think by anyone's standard it is a classic and it's almost like the perfect film in some ways but it's a 1993 Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. Now, Groundhog Day, this has become, it's so well known that it's pretty much already, it's just kind of like entered into the, like people when they say, oh, it's Groundhog Day, people know what that means. Yeah, immediately. Uh, I think people haven't even seen the film, but they know what it means when people say, oh my God, it's like a Groundhog Day situation. So can you tell us just quickly, briefly, before we we play some music, what is the storyline of Groundhog Day? It's a story of a cynical weatherman played by Bill Murray mm-hmm. who goes to a place called Punxsutawney to cover the annual Groundhog Festival mm-hmm. in which the groundhog comes out and if he sees his shadow, that means there's six more weeks of winter. Mm-hmm. And he goes and covers it. He doesn't want to be there, but he goes. And then he's stranded by a blizzard and then he wakes up the next day and it's the same day over and over again. And it happens the next day and the next day and the next day. But he keeps reliving the same day, Groundhog Day, where he has to go and see Puck the Tawny Phil come out and look at his shadow. But he ends up reliving the same day. Over and over, over again. Over and over again. And he wakes up every morning. To the sound ev- of. To the, he wakes up every morning to the strains of this song. <laughs> Yes, yes. I mean, as great as that song is, I can imagine hearing that every single <laughs> morning. We'll eventually do your nothing. Do your nothing, yeah. <laughs> so, so he wakes up every single morning. And that it's plays, Groundhog Day. That plays, and he goes into Groundhog Day. Exactly the same thing's happening yeah. all over and over again. Because the DJ says, it's Groundhog Day, <laughs> doesn't he, every morning? <laughs> every single morning, it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> and so, and, and obviously, this is like a... This is almost kind of like the quintessential Bill Murray, Bill Murray character. Yes. Because it's kind of like he is, he's cynical, he is dour, he's, he's very rude. funny. He's, <laughs> he's rude. Yeah. He's rude to like everybody at all. He's sarcastic. He puts yeah. everything down. He he has no joy of anything whatsoever. And so, and obviously he gets he gets put into into this. So how does he take it when this whole happens? Well, he. Yeah, he he responds like, like, like three phases to his response. <laughs> like the first phase is like, okay, I'm going to have to get out of here. I'm going to do anything I can to get out of here. I'm going to try and leave. Yeah. Doesn't happen. 
And so he can't leave by trying to change the events of the day. He can't like beat the weather. He can't leave early. Nothing. He just can't leave the, the town or the punks are tawny. Yep. So he stays there. And the next phase is like despair. So you see him almost like trying to, you see him killing himself in endless ways, you know, blowing himself. Well, I, don't, I can't remember some of the ways, but he, he stands in front of a snowplow. I, th- I think there's a bit where he gets run over by a snowplow. Yeah, there's endless. a bit where he kidnaps uh, Punxsutawney oh, Phil, he gets the, girl, shot, the groundhog. <laughs> there's a bit he, he grabs the ground and then he drives over the edge of a cliff. Yeah. I think there's a bit where he gets shot by the police because he's trying to rob a bank or something. It's just, yeah, like it's, just, it's, it's endless ways. Of, you don't, and you, you're aware that there's, sort of, I mean, there's more other ones. Because he does talk at one point how I've killed I've killed myself so many times. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a bit where he gets into a bath and he drops a toaster in. Yeah, that's it. And all <laughs> the, the, the lights short out in this rooming house that he's in. <laughs> and then he sort of um, then he goes he once he's gone past that despair phase, he then goes into a complete hedonism phase where he indulges in every <laughs> fantasy. He like he um hires he's where money's no object, he like spends money you know, recklessly. He hires limousines and prostitutes and he <laughs> dresses up as Clint Eastwood and things and goes to the local cinema 'cause um until yeah, he lives completely selfishly. Yep. And he does all the things he's wanted to do. Like he tries to seduce the lady in the bar by because mm-hmm. he learned how from one day he's like given information so he then finds out more information about her so because each day she starts again but he remembers each previous day so yeah. he then manages to convince this person you know, <laughs> to, okay. you know. okay because okay, this is directed by Harold Ramis Harold Ramis Harold yeah. Ramis who and uh, as we said oh, he was a director who, who clashed with Bill Murray they didn't talk for 20 years apparently after making this film but and which is quite sad because they are obviously from Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, yeah. Yeah, they are. And Stripes before that, where yeah. they joined the army, don't they? Yeah, they'd had like this great collaborative comedic partnership, which yeah. you would like to think that oh yeah, they were best of friends the yeah. whole time, and apparently it was so something something went wrong on this. But Harold Ramos, I think he he for a while had this, he had this way of making films that you would think would be just so like twee or you think that would just be that you think oh for goodness sake whatever but they would have a real heart to them yes. and he actually really believed and he really and I think some of the things that he did in this is he has, he has like the montages yeah so you have the the, the essentially the killing myself montage where he, yeah. keeps, tra- he keeps trying to escape <laughs> this horrible drudgery of going through the die, same thing I've got to end it yeah no it doesn't yeah, yeah he, he does that and then the, he has the he has a montage of where he he learns like there's a bit where he robs a he robs like oh yeah he's timing the yeah, delivery van isn't yeah, he yeah he's timing the delivery van and that like, takes all the money and he just sort of like and he's timing and he just see my stuff on counting one two hello Clarence three, three yeah. four and shut he, the door what yeah, <laughs> yeah and, like, and he just starts walking across the road because he knows exactly when he has to walk across yeah. the road for a car to miss him and then there's a there's also another montage which is him. Trying different things with, we're trying to different things with the lady. I think with Andy McDowell. Andy McDowell, yeah. Trying different things and realizing, okay, that doesn't work. And then he gets slapped. Then he gets a drink poured in his face. And then he goes, okay, don't do that tomorrow. Because by <laughs> the next day, he does exactly. Then he eventually gets to the point where he's essentially like her perfect man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's. He tries to make himself a perfect man, but yeah, it, yeah. And it always seems to go wrong. And then, yeah, then I think he comes across. There's a, there's some tragedy in it where there's this old homeless man. Who who dies on that day, mm. and he does everything he possibly can to to help this old man. He's like, if he thinks if I just give him a warm meal, if I just give him a coat, he won't die. Yeah, but he he still dies mm. every day, and it's like accepting things that this is life now. Yeah, and then there's like a boy who falls out of a tree. He goes, I've count, I've caught you so many times, and never once have you thanked me. 
<laughs> so it's almost like he's become so immersed in this town that he knows everything that happens. Yes. In, and you don't know how far he can travel before he gets stopped from leaving, but he's aware of every single thing. And there's a bit where he goes to the cinema, isn't it? And he goes, oh, my favourite film, I've seen this film, you know, like a thousand times. <laughs> and you believe him that he probably has actually yeah. seen yeah. this film endlessly. And yeah, so it's got these real moments, but it has got that real depth to it as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's about, in, in some ways, that he becomes the best version of himself. He accepts the things that he can't change, and then he does try to make the, the best day. There's one guy, this like insurance salesman, that he keeps trying to sell him insurance. Yeah. And in the first of all, he likes <laughs> a few times like he punches. Can he you have punches, a montage with him? Yeah, he punches him. He punches him in the face because he knows he's not going to remember it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can do what I like. And yeah. then he sort of hugs him and goes, oh, "I've missed you so much. Can we spend some time together?" And he's like, "Oh, no." <laughs> And then he's used sort of like, and then sort of as the days improve, he sort of goes. He takes out these massive insurance policies, so he gets this huge commission. <laughs> so he like he makes his day, and he tries to become the best version of himself. He accepts, you yeah. know, that I can, I can't save this old man, but I can make his last day a good day. Yeah, I can't stop that boy from falling out the tree, but I can make sure he doesn't get hurt when he falls out the tree. I, you know, and he just does the most he can. And a couple break up, don't they? Every day they have a fight in the restaurant. And like on the last day, it's like, oh, you saved my marriage. Because he, you know, he, he, he he's he, aware of everything. He's aware of all the different discussions or all the different issues so he can he can navigate them. So. Yeah, so in the end, from being this sort of cynical, doer, um, superficial man, yeah, he becomes a man of all depth. Yeah. And you do see that that is a journey of redemption. And one uh, with my friends, we did try to work out how long he had been living Groundhog Day. Yeah. And if you take it sort of literally, like he had watched the film a thousand times mm -hmm. and it's shown once a day for a thousand days, you've immediately got like three years. Yeah. And then if you multiply that doing the timings of the bank robbery, that he's got it down to seconds and he talks about how many times he kills himself and how many times he's caught the boy and all these different things yeah you work out that he's probably been there for you know decades <laughs> been in that loop for decades he's been in that loop for 20 30 years so you know, i never thought about that but i guess that, that kind of because i guess that's kind of the 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 beauty of the film because you never it never explains it never explains it, it never explains why this time loop happens no. it's just kind of like fantastical the world or god or the force or whatever yeah, it is something. but something to decide to teach this man a lesson and i'm guessing that if you do have decades you have decades of experience and you live through stuff and you do yeah. get to think about yourself and you do get to decide hang on maybe i want to be so it, i guess i guess it's kind of it's kind of a deeply philosophical film in some yeah. way the more you can look at it and uh, i think it's just a good film and i think sometimes don't overthink it just yeah, accept yeah, yeah. it yeah because when i first i thought he was there you know a couple of years at the most but then you look at it and think actually if you do add all these things up these experiences he could have been there yeah 30 years well, I think so. and that becomes tragic doesn't it that's not funny that's tragic it is it is tragic and you can understand why he would try and end it in some yeah. way and if you're trying some way you're trying to escape this loop because living the yeah. same day over and over again no matter how great the day is no matter how great the song is that starts the day off yeah. it's going to get <laughs> and it's you going can't to, accept it yeah. but then he get he does accept it and then with that acceptance it's almost that's where he the, to me that's his redemption moment is like he accepts this is his what he has to do yeah and if you look on deeper levels it is like the whole it is telling us you know we don't get the chance to relive our days over no. and over again until we get it right you know yeah. we only hear we're only here once and yeah you know to, to be the best version of yourself that you can be is you know is if that's the only lesson you get out of the film then that's not a bad one i think to to take from it but i think if you look on a really superficial level 
it's funny. It, it is a very <laughs> it funny, is a funny film. film. It's a very funny film. And yeah. he is someone who is charming in his sort of cynicism. You, you like him even though he's awful at yeah. the beginning. <laughs> and at the end, you root for him. You want him to have his happy ending. Yeah. And you want the good things to happen. And you feel sad for him when the sad things happen, but you you're with him. Yeah. And so I think I like those sort of films where you just you're completely with the get good, where you're completely with your hero, and Bill Murray is our hero in this film. Yeah, I, I just I I do feel like well, I think how Ramos and Bill Murray they they have this habit of making non cynical, just heartfelt movies. Yeah. But usually it's weird that they do it. But they do it by being cynical, yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of like they sort of like they they must dupe you because you think, oh yeah, cynical, yeah, this is gonna, and then you kind of like, oh, there's there's something in my eye. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm trying to remember back to when this first came out. I'm not sure if I, I don't think I ever saw it at the cinema. I think it was one of those director DVD things, and mm-hmm. then it just grew and grew and grew, uh, like Dirty Dancing was like a it was it was never a film release. It was DVD. It was straight to video, and then it just grew from there probably in this country yeah well i I think uh, i'm not sure how big it was in the in the cinemas when it was released but i know i know that through video and everything like that this film was just grown to become the it has this this place in the culture or like a sort of cultural phenomenon it's a wonderful life i think it sort of sits yeah with that i agree agree with you i agree with you that i think it does sit on the same level as it's a wonderful life yeah it's it's it, it does sit on that level and i think it's I'm sure that there must have been time loop movies made before this, but this is the first real big time loop yeah. movie that's that made it a thing. So, I mean, now you have um, other time loop movies like Edge of Tomorrow, which is yes. Edge of Tomorrow, well, based on the novel, All You Need Is Kill. Um, it's uh, the one with Tom Cruise in it, which which plays with quite a few of the same kind of, similar kind yeah. of things like the endless death montages and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. That, that I know there was a film called Time After Time, um, but the, but it's it is a time loop movie as its own sort of like little thing, yeah. and I think it's quite it's quite hard to a explain why the time loop is happening. It's quite hard to figure out a a good satisfying way of breaking out of the time loop. Yes. And I feel like Groundhog Day is just kind of like it's it's a kind of film that if you wanted to make a time loop movie, you looked at that film and thought, ooh. We had a really, really good way of breaking out of it, but we can't do it now because Groundhog Day did they've it. They've done it, yeah. <laughs> Groundhog Day has cracked the code, and now no one else can do it. Yeah. <laughs> you made them all, and you broke it. Yeah, yeah. You made them all, and you kept it to yourself. You selfish. But, <laughs> but I, I do think uh, if we're going to talk about time loop movies, Edge of Tomorrow or Live Die Repeat or whatever it is, you whatever can find you it. Call it yeah. whatever, look for the film with Tom Cruise in which he dies like eighty times. But it's, um, Which is satisfying in itself in its own small way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother loved that. He does not like Tom Cruise. No. <laughs> hey, look, he dies in endless different variations. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is one of the, I think, outside Groundhog Day, I think that's one of the best time loop movies. Yes, definitely. And they're 20 odd, well, 30 odd years apart, aren't they? Yep, yep, yep. Something like that. All right, cool. We're going to come back in a second and talk about what we've actually, last thing to say about Groundhog Day. Any final thoughts? No, I would say. Um, it would sit happily in your Christmas film list, wouldn't it? It's that sort of leaves you feeling warm and fuzzy at the end. Yeah, I know. It's funny because everybody thinks of it as a Christmas movie, but it isn't. It's not. It's February. It's, it's yeah, set in February. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Christmas in the film, but it's uh, but it does have that, as you said, it has that. It's a wonderful life feel about it. Yeah. All right. No, I'll cool. just say, great film. So one more thing from we have Frank Yankovic. Hmm. I wonder if it's related to Weird Al. Weird Al. Yeah. yeah. Frank Yankovic, who has this called the Pennsylvania Polka from the soundtrack of Groundhog Day. Strike up the music, the band has begun. Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, 
Yep, that was the Pennsylvania Polka by Frank Yankovic and that from Groundhog Day. But anyway, that's us done. Um, please get well soon. And remember, as always, they don't make them like, like they, they used to. to.